Well, would you believe me if I said that I have the ability, a, a new skill that I've developed lately, um, where I could, on this stage, elevate myself about two feet off the floor? Do you want to see it? Uh, it's not everybody, I think, can do this, but, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how I'm able to do this. Wouldn't this be ironic if I fell? Look at this. About two feet off the floor. Right? I'm serious. My feet are not touching the floor right now. I have lifted myself up. I'm just hovering above the floor. How many of you think you could do this? Yeah. Well, there's only one little problem. I am, I am really quite convinced of my great ability, but I'm not giving any credit to this little thing called a chair. I have great confidence in my ability to elevate myself off the floor. But I'm not acknowledging the help I'm getting. Sometimes... Um, We do that in a variety of ways, and we're going to read a scripture passage that addresses something along this line. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd like you to find Luke chapter 18, uh, page 653 in the Red Bible. And we're continuing in this series we've called Certain Truth. And we're going to be in Luke 18, starting at verse 9, and I will ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word. Luke 18, verse 9 says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Carrying on in verse 15. One day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. And then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell tell you the truth, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. I suppose this should be obvious to us by now, but every one of us, myself included, needs a reminder at some point that God favors the humble. 
God favors the humble. If you've been around um, for a while, of course, reading the Bible and uh, etc., you've come to know or come to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys of the Bible. Oh, those Pharisees. Yeah, go get them, Jesus. You know, really stick it to them. But in that day, they were seen as kind of the model to, to emulate. I mean, they really had it together, spiritually speaking, religiously. And so I would say even today, it's, you know, it's easy to be kind of intimidated by people we would perceive to be religious elite. Uh, you know, that, that person you say, well, that person's a really good Christian. You know, they, they seem to just have it all together and, and they really, I mean, they know the words to all the songs and, and they, they know, they know all the references in the Bible. You know, and uh, kind of be intimidated by that. And I think at even the same time, it's easy even to get an ego about our own religious behavior if we're not careful. Well, I go to I go to Bible study a lot, you know, and I I read my Bible. Now, of course, we wouldn't admit it that we maybe are developing an ego around that. But isn't it easy to condemn in, in, you know, the sins that we don't struggle with ourselves? You ever notice that? I mean, if you're. Okay, let's just go out there and say it. If you're skinny and you've got a fast metabolism and you've developed good eating habits, do you, does it bother you when you see me having that second or third donut? Right? Or if you've never been caught up with an addiction to alcohol or pornography, do you find it easy to condemn the person who, who does I mean, never mind our own struggle with greed and gossip and, and refusing to forgive the person who wronged you years and years ago. I mean, it's funny how all the bad sins are the ones that others do and the ones that we do are really not that big a deal. That's what's going on for this, this Pharisee. And the Apostle Paul, a former Pharisee himself, he put it this way. He said, we rely in, in Philippians chapter 3. He says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence... In human effort. Or another translation says, no confidence in the flesh. But the Pharisee in the parable was not counting on God to make him righteous. He was counting on himself. In fact, he was bragging to God about how righteous he was. It's like me standing on this chair, you know, bragging to you that I'm, I'm elevating myself off the floor. Oh, look at me. Yeah, you're off the floor. But you're standing on a chair, Brian. You're not actually lifting yourself off the floor. Oh, yeah, look at me. Do you see what happens there? How easy it is to to miss the fact that we're lifted up, made righteous by God's grace, not by our own effort. And so Jesus tells us that the sinful tax collector, not the Pharisee, was the one who went home justified before God. His humility... Before God meant that he did not count on himself to get right before God at all. See, that the, the tax collector did not say, as some of us do at times, Oh, Lord, I know, you know, I've messed up, but I'm going to do better. Lord, I'm going to try harder. I, I'm going to promise more. I'm, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not going to cuss this week. I'm not going to have any lustful thoughts. I'm really going to get it together this time. Lord, I'm serious. He didn't do that. That's not how the tax collector prayed. 
He just said, I'm I'm a sinner, Lord, have mercy on me. Some of our most sincere efforts, honestly, some of our most sincere efforts against sin in our lives are the worst moments of self-righteousness. You know, sometimes trying harder actually leads to greater failure. You know, it's the it's the it's the wet paint sign effect, right? You know, if I walk past a, a park bench, I'm just going to keep walking. But if you put a sign on there that says wet paint, guess what? I am going to stop and touch it. Why? Because I'm inclined to break the law. And the more what I focus on is what I'm inclined to do. Don't touch that bench. Don't touch that bench. Don't just. Yep. It's wet paint. All right. Right. Some of our most sincere moments are our worst moments of self effort and self righteousness. And instead, we're just invited to say, God, I cannot do the right thing today. I can't. But Christ in me can. Christ in me can. And that's what I'm counting on and that's what I would want you to count on. I do not have what it takes to be righteous by my hard work and my good effort. And I wonder if you and I can be humble enough to just cast ourselves on God's grace. Just to throw ourselves right on God's grace. I I came across a a great quote, another great quote by C.S. Lewis, I think just last week. He's, He's credited with saying, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Let me say that one more time. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's a big difference. God favors the humble. Now, there is an essential way to experience God's grace in our lives, and that's to get to know God personally. Now, at this point, some of us are saying, man, this, I know all this stuff. But I, I want us to really take the opportunity just to do some self-examination today. We could say it this way. Grace is found when I personally approach God. Grace is found when I personally approach God. Well, let me ask it this way. I don't know if you've ever... You've ever known a prominent person or a famous person, maybe, you know, a well-known author or a well-known athlete. You know, you you read their book or you watch them, you know, on, on the field and you're like, man, I really know a lot about that person. I know their stats or I, you know, I know I know their, their area of expertise. Right. And, and you, um, you know, like, you know, maybe you've judged them correctly. Maybe you haven't. But you think, man, I, I really know a lot about that person. But then you have the opportunity to meet them, to get to know them. And suddenly your perspective changes quite a bit. You, you respond differently. You, you find yourself, you know, maybe it's that athlete. And now, uh, you know, you find yourself watching them. Maybe you, maybe you, maybe you met an athlete um, you know, a number of years ago. We, uh, the church we were part of it was an NFL player in there. And I would never have paid any attention to the team he was a part of. But suddenly, like... Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see him play. I wanna, I wanna see Matt Giordano, because I met him. And suddenly my perspective changes. Or, or an author that that you liked, and and uh, you know I was, um, 
uh, you, you've met this person and now you kind of read more intently what they've written and you're kind of really pay attention and, and, you, and you're like, wow, because I know that person. Or you read their book and, and you can hear their voice in your head while you're reading it. You're like, wow. Changes your perspective. I don't think you've ever had an experience like that where you got to go flip that around from a, an unknown celebrity to somebody that you kind of got to know. But that's the difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them. Maybe, you're, you know, regardless of where your first impressions were, there's something that changes once you got to know them. And suddenly you find yourself not only paying attention to them, but telling other people. You know, it's become a bit of an evangelist. Like, man, you really got to read this guy. There's, there's an author we, I'd read recently, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm pretty encouraged with this, what guy reads. And then we went and heard him speak. And now I'm like, oh, I've heard him speak. His books are even better. It's the same book. Right. But it's better now that I've now I've met him and I've heard him speak. And the same thing happens when you approach God. You might say, well, of course, I know God. I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time. I mean, I've always gone to church. I, I, I you know, I, I live in America for crying out loud. Of course, I'm a Christian and I know God. But do you know God or do you just know about him? Maybe, maybe you know the Bible, but do you know the author of that word? Maybe you're acquainted with facts, but not in a relationship with the person. Do you personally know God? Let me give you another example. Um, for those of you who are married or those of you who would like to be married one day, imagine that with your spouse, all you ever did was maybe read blogs that someone wrote about them and maybe you saw the occasional photograph. Um, maybe you've just heard what other people have, have said about them, you know. Um, but you never took the time to communicate with, with each other. And this goes on year after year after year. And say, oh, I'm, I'm married. Now we're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary. We are married to each other. But we, we never spend time together. We've never spoken. We, we're never intimate in any way. We, we never take the time to listen to one another or speak to one another. What, what kind of marriage would that be? You would say, Brian, that's not a marriage. That doesn't count. And the same thing can happen in our relationship with God. We say, oh, I, I've been a Christian a long time. Yeah, but do you ever talk to Him? Do you ever take time to listen? Is there any... Communication? Do you pay attention to what God says? I, I think this may be one reason why people sometimes struggle with their faith, that they know all about God, but do they know God personally? So, taking time to, to talk with them, to listen, to just be in His presence. And in the, the parable that we read of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, these two men are different in their, in, in the nature, because of the nature of how they approach God. The Pharisee, he knows a lot about God. He knows a lot about God's laws. He's, he's very religious, but he does not know God personally. He's got nothing to say to God when he, when he comes in prayer except to talk about himself. And Jesus says, in fact, he stood by himself. And in his pride, he maintained his distance from God. And from everyone else. 
while the tax collector also stood, as Jesus says, at a distance. In shame, he does not count himself worthy to even be there, but he believes that God might just be merciful enough to hear him. That tax collector, God, I got, I got nothing. I, I got nothing. And who, who gets drawn close into relationship with God? The one who's empty-handed. The sinful, shameful tax collector. In, in that humility, his humility kind of opens a door to a relationship with God. So the Pharisee got it wrong. Right? The tax collector finds mercy. But then Jesus shows us an even better way. It's the ideal of the child. Jesus says, you see it there often verse 16. Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. See, I, I don't think it's an accident that this is placed in the text right after the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Because there's a contrast now. These men who attempt to come to God somehow on their own and then the parents who are bringing their children to Jesus. One big difference, of course, here is that the children needed their parents to bring them. They are not able to come on their own to the temple or to approach God. I know the one's a parable and one's an actual account, but but they're they're not able to come on their own. They need their parents to bring them. And so their their faith is set to us as the ideal. That's the kind of faith you need to have, Jesus says. But the children can't actually get there on their own. And, you know, I'd summarize, summarize it like this. I need others and others need me. I need others and others need me. The posture of the, of the two men in the parable, right? Standing alone, standing at a distance. This tells me these were men in isolation. They've got no good community. They've got no sacred community. No, no healthy place. No people around them who say, hey, let me help you on your journey. They're on their own. They're isolated. They do not have those right relationships. And few of us really do, to be honest. Maybe this is another reason for the contrast with children. Children tend to create community wherever they go. Do you want to be my friend? Right? Do you want to play with me? Look what I got. I got a car. Right? Children have an easy way of instantly gathering some community. It's amazing to watch. And they need community in which to grow up. They can't raise themselves. And I wonder if we are at risk of losing childlike qualities with age. Somebody asked me yesterday, were you hyper as a child? I didn't think it showed. Um, Nothing like when I was a kid, I'll tell you that. But things like wonder and excitement and curiosity and, and, and honesty, right? And, and trust and laughter and creativity and joy and silliness, right? And teachability. All these great qualities of children. Can we still, as we grow older, embrace those qualities into our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond? Because those are the qualities that help us to embrace the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is the one that said, you need to be like these children. If you're going to experience the kingdom. Now, I only have two children and they're not little boys anymore. They're young men. And so I, I have the benefit of not having two or three or four busy toddlers underfoot. Um, but sometimes we hear parents, I don't know, sometimes we just joke about children being, you know, a bother. We speak about children in disparaging ways. Sometimes parents will call their children, oh, my little monster, or, oh, you know, here comes trouble, or things like that. And I know it's, it's meant and good fun, but, you know, I think those pejorative terms are dishonoring to the to wonderful gift that children are to families and to us as a church. One of my favorite things is when we're gathering in here and you hear a little bit of noise from upstairs. They're having a good time and there's some music or there's some laughter or there's there's a baby that's crying in the in the sanctuary and all the heads are turning like, take that child to the nursery. <laughs> right? And I'm thinking, huh, sound of life. It's fantastic. I don't mind a bit. Don't mind a bit. Right? They're a precious gift. And guess what? Jesus did not say... Let the children come to me so they can learn to be more grown up. Right? He said, let the children come to me as they are so that we can learn to be more childlike. Jesus says we need to. More fun, more playful, more interesting, more trusting, more full of faith. And Jesus did say, let them come to me. You know, as an aside, parents, it's it's still our job. It's still up to us primarily to bring our children to Jesus. It's not the church. It's not primarily the church that brings our children to Jesus. It's us as parents. And, uh, you know, if you have young children, you're in the phase of bringing them up, teaching them to to know and love and follow God. If you're if they're a little older, you're you're bringing them to Jesus in prayer. Praying for a godly spouse in the future or praying for their heart to turn back to them if, if they've kind of rejected the Lord right now. Or, or even praying to release them to the Lord for whatever ministry or service He may have for them in the future. Wherever they are, whatever's going on, we keep bringing the children to Jesus. At any age. Some of your children are in their 30s and 40s and beyond. Keep bringing your children to Jesus. But not only do children need to be brought to Jesus, we need to bring others and one another. Let me let me illustrate uh, this in another way. So a few months ago, um, Carrie Sue Brown sitting over here, she um, she offered to start a little group to train and run for the um, run for run for relief uh, at the MCC sale. It's a 10K and a two mile event. And so for you or maybe most others in this room, this is kind of of little interest. Whatever, running seems like a waste of time. But I needed some help rehabilitating my broken ankle, and so I joined this little group. And I don't actually love running. Um, I'm not one of those people. So far, I'm not addicted to running yet. Trying. Um, But Gary's an amazing coach, and with the accountability and the support and the training of the group, uh, it made it possible for me and several others to finish yesterday. So that's pretty cool. It's nine months today. Yeah. Nine months today that I broke my ankle. Well, in fact, I even got a medal. 
Check this out. It just says on it, run for relief. What this bronze medal is, is third in my age category. Now, I probably should not bother to tell you there weren't that many registrants. So I was... There was third of three. That's our little secret, right? Now, without that group's care and support, training, accountability, relationship, I might have run, but I certainly would not have run that well if I'd bothered to. But because of the community and because of the accountability and that experience, I learned about running I made new friends. I hopefully encouraged others along the way. And I had a a positive experience. You know, we need others and others need us. We need one another. I don't want to be like those men who came to the temple and had no one with them, whether the Pharisee or the tax collector. And friends, Jesus left us with a commission, a command. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all the things that I have taught you. That's our task and our privilege to bring people to Jesus and to bring Jesus to people wherever they might be. To disciple them by teaching them the things he's teaching you. And, you know, if you're not in a personal relationship with the Lord, he's not able to teach you anything. You're only passing on what he's teaching to someone else. But what's the Lord teaching to you that you can pass on to others? I don't want to just have us accumulate, you know, the right answers or the right, you know, accurate knowledge. I want us to know and love and follow Jesus together. And this isn't just for, you know, people out there in general. Yeah, someone needs to do that. This is for you and for me. There is a person or maybe some people in your life right now that God has led you to or wants to lead you to or is willing to lead you to. Someone whom you can bring to Jesus or maybe bring Jesus to them if that's the starting place. Maybe it starts with your children. And as in today's account for you, those of you who have children as parents. But it goes beyond that and beyond that and beyond that. We, we say our purpose here at Bethany Church is to make Christ Jesus known in our communities and beyond. It's been a growing challenge in my own life lately. I ask, who am I bringing to Jesus? When I gave my next door neighbor an invitation card to Easter, he said, well, now you can say you've tried to convert me. And, and I said, yeah, but I haven't tried very hard, have I? And uh, I was a little bit sad, like, ah, man, I've been neighbors with these people for a long time. We're good friends. But I'm going to keep praying for them. Now, getting back to the Pharisee and the tax collector in Jesus' story, both men needed God's saving grace. The tax collector, in a sense, stumbled upon it out of desperation and out of humility. And the Pharisee, he missed the grace of God because of his pride. And in fact, he was in a sense rejected by God because he rejected God's grace. He found himself standing on the chair instead of on his knees before God. How different, I wonder, that parable would have been if there had been someone in their lives to 
to bring them along and help them grow. So my question is, you know, is there anyone in your life to bring to whom you can bring to Jesus or whom you can bring Jesus to them? And if there isn't, start asking the Lord to give you somebody. Just ask the Lord, God, I, I, I want to do what you asked me to do. You said I should go into the whole world and make disciples. And I don't know anyone in my life right now. And I'm asking you to bring someone into my life. Or place me in someone's life where it can matter that I'm a follower of Jesus. So I've got two challenges to close with today. Josh, maybe it's a good time for you and the team to come up. Two little challenges for us. One is, how's your approach with God? How's your approach with God? Are you humble, childlike, faith-filled, right? Seeking to know God and not just know about God? How's your approach with God? That's my one challenge. And the other challenge is, who else can you bring? Who else can you bring? Maybe it begins with bringing them in prayer. Maybe it begins in an act of kindness or service. Bring them a plate of cookies or a meal or service in some way. Maybe it's having a, a spiritual conversation with that person in your life. You've known them for a long time. And you say, I just got to tell you, I, I, it, it's time I tell you about why I'm a Christian. Something like that. Those are the two challenges. I suppose there's a third challenge. If you're here today and you do not personally know Jesus yourself, if no one has ever brought you to Jesus, but you're saying, I, I'm like that tax collector. I, I'm a sinful person and I, and I, I want to be made right with God. There's a, that's, that's maybe the challenge for you. And I'm gonna, I can lead you in a prayer if you'd like to do that. Let's, uh, let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word today. Jesus, I thank You that You shared the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I shudder to think how many times I've been more like the, ta- like the Pharisee than the tax collector. But uh, God, I want to be somebody who's humble before You. And I know that's the heart's cry of most people in this room. And so God, I ask that You would help us to do that. To come in that way. I thank you for your word. And as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, we're just going to have you just, this is a, a good, quiet moment for you with the Lord. I'm going to ask those two questions again. How's your approach to God? Are you humble, childlike, seeking to know God, not just know about Him? How's your approach? And then the second question I have is who else can you bring? Who would the Lord lay on your heart? to be intentional about bringing good news to them. And as you're pondering that, I want to ask one more thing. If you don't know Jesus today, and you're saying, I would like to begin a relationship with Jesus, why don't I just pray a little prayer, and you can just pray it along with me quietly where you are standing. And if you pray this, maybe you could just let me know later, or let someone in the prayer room know later that you prayed this. If, if you're saying, I, I, I want to come to Jesus. I want to, I'm like that tax collector. I want to, I want to find mercy in God. You could just pray something like this. You just say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I trust you to forgive my sin and make me right with Father God. 
I turn from doing life in my own way and I ask You to lead me as the Lord of my life. Amen. If that's you, if you pray a prayer like that, even right now, would you let someone know today? God loves you so much. We don't even begin to grasp the depth and fullness of His love. And he wants you to know that, experience that with His people, in His presence, each and every day.